Hello, folks. Welcome to Notoriously Episcopalian, a podcast of sermons from me, Kelly Hudlow, an itinerant Episcopal priest in Alabama. Thanks for listening. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and somebody else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, follow me. 
The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Occasionally on my social media feed, a meme will pop up, so a picture with some words printed on top of it, often of a laundry basket filled with like dirty socks. And what the words say is, after enlightenment, the laundry. And if you dig around to try to figure out where this comes from, you'll find that there was a book maybe in the 90s that was After the Ecstasy, the Laundry. It was written by an American Buddhist writer. But if you keep digging, you will find that where this seems to come from is from a Zen proverb, a Zen Buddhist proverb, that says, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, and carry water. Now, we don't do very much wood chopping or carrying water these days, and so it seems like a good fit to say, after enlightenment, the laundry. Because it's telling us the same sort of thing, that this enlightenment, this nirvana, this thing that we're trying to attain, once we get it, we're still here in the world, and there's still regular things that have to be done, like the laundry. But if we have become enlightened, as the Buddhists like to think, our relationship to that work has changed. We are still enlightened, but we still need clean socks, or we still need to chop wood, or we still need fresh water to drink. And so this is an offer offered as a reminder that even though we may, may work very hard to attain this goal, this goal that brings peace and joy and connection, which is sort of the understanding of the Buddhist of what enlightenment is, we are still very much in the world with our physical bodies, with our families, our friends, with our chores, with our homes that we have to take care of, that the enlightenment doesn't make all of that go away, but it does change our relationship to it. We celebrated the first Sunday of Easter a few years ago, a few, few, not a few years ago, but a few weeks ago, um, and we are quickly reminded in our tradition that Easter is not just one Sunday, right? It's a whole season of the church here. It goes on for 50 days, and in the ensuing Sundays after Resurrection Sunday, what we have are sometimes really peculiar stories of Jesus's appearance to the disciples after his resurrection. And today we get the story of this miraculous catch of fish of the disciples and them having breakfast on the beach with Jesus. If we wanted to use the language of the meme, we might say, before the resurrection, you go fishing. And after the resurrection, you go fishing. Right? We have found the disciples in almost the same place as they were when Jesus first called them, out casting nets into the sea to pull up fish. Now, what is particularly interesting for this, though a lot of scholars spend time trying to figure out what the number 153 has to do with anything, I think it's just safer to say that that just means that it was a whole lot more fish than what they normally would get in this particular catch. But what I find fascinating is a little detail that John drops in for us, that where they have breakfast is around a charcoal fire. 
Because the only other time that John talks about a charcoal fire is before the resurrection. And then it was not Peter and Jesus sitting down to have breakfast. Jesus was in the custody of the Sanhedrin and was going to be taken and handed over to Pilate. And so it is Peter sitting at a charcoal fire confronted by the question of, was he a follower of Jesus? Now at that first fire, Peter denies Jesus three times. And at the second charcoal fire, when he's having breakfast with the resurrected Jesus, Peter gets a chance to undo that denial when Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Now, oftentimes when we read this gospel, which I have read many times before, we sometimes read that exchange, and I know I have done it, as though Jesus is somehow mad or irritated or trying to make Peter realize what he has done. And we read in Peter's voice, you know, that he is annoyed that Jesus keeps asking him these questions. But when I read it this morning, I wondered what it would be like to hear that reading with Jesus being a little bit playful, right? And Peter being a little bit joyful about it because we forget that Peter is sitting there at a fire eating breakfast with the resurrected Jesus. And man, that had to be a joyful moment. A moment following a miraculous catch of fish. A moment of experiencing the abundance of God and what new life looks like in the flesh in front of you. We get these curious post-resurrection stories. Not just because the church decided Easter needed to be 50 days and not just one Sunday. But because it's really important for us as Christians to figure out what our life is before the resurrection And what our life is supposed to be after the resurrection. Now for us, we are baptized into the life and death and resurrection of Christ. Maybe as babies, maybe as adults. But we have a life before we are baptized, however brief that might be. And a life after we are baptized when we are called to live as Christians that believe that the resurrection is a real thing. And so what do we learn from these post-resurrection stories of what it means to live in a world where after the resurrection you go fishing? The first thing is, is that we don't get pulled out of our lives. Our baptism, our being saved, or whatever you want to call it, doesn't somehow make the world a happy place where we have no problems and that we don't have to fold the socks after we wash them. A post-resurrection life is very much in the place that we live now. But I think it also tells us that we now live in a world where we know that God's abundance is what rules. That if we are patient enough and if we listen and discern Jesus Christ enough in our lives, we are going to cast our nets and bring in more than we can possibly imagine. And now I don't mean that in sort of the prosperity gospel sense that you're going to get back monetary gains. But if you trust in Jesus and are daring enough to go where Christ calls, you're going to be really surprised at the abundance that you find there. I also think a life after resurrection is a life that is marked by joy. Which is why I don't think we should hear in Peter's words annoyance or in Jesus' words judgment because the judgment has already happened, right? Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, the judgment has come and we are found worthy as God's beloved children adopted into the family of, through Christ. 
And so a life post-resurrection is in the world and is one marked by abundance and joy. And that stands in pretty stark contrast to the life before the resurrection with Peter around that fire. He denied Christ not because he did not love Jesus, but he denied Christ because he was filled with the fear and judgment of the world. And in that moment, he made a decision to save himself and not to think about Jesus in jail. I think as Christians, we are called to be invitations to people to see resurrection in the world around them, to see and experience the abundance and joy of God, and to look at the world and find places where people are continuing to deny Christ because they live in a state of fear and judgment of others. We're called to feed and tend lambs. That means we're called to take care of the most vulnerable amongst us. We are called to take care of the people that we should, could so easily marginalize or cast out. I read this passage this week as I sort of carry around the gospel reading with me. And there is some, a story going around in the news in Birmingham about um, someone running for a statewide office that decided to use a school that we have in Birmingham as part of the political campaign. The school is called the Magic City Acceptance Academy. I have dear friends that were involved in the founding of this school and its purpose is to provide a place for others that maybe don't have a place where they feel safe. And they were caught up in the politics of the day. Regardless of party, we've done it on both sides, where we find somebody that is weak and somebody that we can make different or other, and we use them for our own gain. In doing so, we're not pointing to resurrection in our world. We find ourselves stuck back at that first charcoal fire with Peter, denying that we know Christ because we're too scared of what it might mean to accept the risen Lord in our lives and to say that we are going to live in a world where there is enough room for everyone and that we don't have to participate in relationships based on power that choose to exercise and cast down people for our own gain. Jesus doesn't ask a question at the end of this passage. It's not, will you follow me? It's a commandment, follow me. He doesn't say, will you tend my sheep? He says, tend my sheep, care for my lambs, live in a world where God's grace and abundance is more than you can imagine. And in in living that way, invite people into a life of a world marked by resurrection. We still have to go fishing. We still have to go to work. We still have to figure out how we have schools and health care, how we elect leaders in our communities. We still have to do all the messiness of being human beings in this world, but we can do so in a way that is marked by joy and life and abundance. That's what the strange post-resurrection stories are about, is they're showing us what it looks like to live in a world where we see the miraculous around us, where Christ is sitting there across the table from us having breakfast. And Jesus looks different each time often. The disciples don't always recognize him, but when they recognize the risen Lord, it's because they have recognized abundance and joy in their life. 
Last Sunday, they were locked in the upper room for fear of the Jews. This Sunday, they've gone fishing and found abundance and joy and had breakfast with their Savior. We are called to do nothing less, to move from lives marked by fear to lives marked by grace and abundance. And so we hear in the risen Lord the command to follow me. Amen.